0: No, we don't need that. Yeah, we don't need that. All right, so today the section that we're going to read from, we're, we're reading from Ahiyya uh, Ulum This is the summary of Ahiyya Ulum Imam al-Ghazali, he wrote his own Ihya ulum al-Din, his major work, and usually it's rare, but he actually wrote his own summary. It's rare that scholar would write a book and then summarize his own book, but al Ghazali did that. So this is the summary of Ihya ulum al-Din, and this Ihya ulum al-Din is divided into four parts. Each part consists of ten separate parts. Anything that, whenever you look at Ghazali, is always very systematic. Very systematic. So it's a perfect set of four units. Each unit is divided into ten subunits. So he has a unit on uh, beliefs. Uh, uh, sorry, ibadat, worship, uh, mu'amadat, interactions. And then the things that destroy a person, muhlikat. And the things that uh, save a person, munjiyat. Okay, muhlikat and munjiyat. So it's, it's a very... Um, a thorough book now when he looks at it he looks at everything from the angle of how what does this what are the signs of sincerity in a matter and what are the signs of lack of sincerity or hypocrisy so he's not just trying to teach people how to do certain things like uh, ibadah uh, that's known but rather he's looking at inside your doing of this ibadah how do we know if we are upon sincerity or Uh, Hypocrisy. So, let's look at uh, the first section of the Munjiyat, things that save individuals. Okay, the first chapter on that. And if you have the book, it's page three forty-seven. Okay, this is the book. If you have it, it's page three forty-seven, and it's divided into ten different categories. The first one is repentance. So, do you also know that? You also get an idea of what are the most important things. The first one is Toba. A Muslim's life is basically all Toba. That's what his whole life is. The whole, your whole life is Toba. Okay. All right. So the first thing is on repentance. Toba, unlike the uh, understanding in Christianity, is that you do an act, you make Toba, and that that should be it. Where in Sharia, in Islam, that's actually not our view. Our view in Islam is that Tawbah is something that's constant in life. Everyone's making Tawbah at all times. And Tawbah can be from Kufr to Shirk, or from Shirk into Islam, that's a type of Tawbah, right? How many times do you see all these ayats about the Mushrikeen that close with, except those who make Tawbah and do good? So that Tawbah means entering Islam, right? Tawbah can be from major sins. Tawbah can be from... Minor sins, tawbah can be from ghafla, tawbah can be from addictions, in other words, tawbah from something that you've fallen into, that is repeated, and the proof of that is a hadith, which the Messenger wasallam said, a man make, commits a sin, and then he makes tawbah, then he commits another sin, and then he makes tawbah, and 70 times in one day, 70 for in, in the Arabic language is an expression for so many that you can't count anymore, right? Anytime a number reaches to the point, like, I can't even count this number anymore, right? Just say 70, right? So, uh, Tawbah can be from repetitive. For the Salihin, the people who have knowledge, and they know the hierarchy of deeds, Tawbah is from a good deed to a better deed, right? Like, in other words, I could have done something better, but I did something good. Could have done better. He makes Tawbah from that, because he knows better. He could have done better. Tawbah can be from, for the awliya whose sole purpose and their focus okay, are, is, is, is to fight heedlessness and to constantly be thinking of Allah Ta'ala, is from uh, ghafla. That if they stop thinking about Allah Ta'ala for a period of time, they make Tawbah from that. Right? That's their Tawbah. So everyone at all times is making Tawbah. You never escape Tawbah. So that's our uh, prelude because when we talk about Tawbah, when we read Al-Ghazali's work on tawbah, we should not imagine that this is only pertinent to, me, pertinent to me if I've committed some sin. That's not the case. It's not only pertinent to someone who has committed some kind of major sin or minor sin. At all times, every single one of us is making tawbah. So what is the first dua that was ever recited? "Rabbana رَبَّنَا wa in وَإِنْ wa تَغْفِرْ لَنَوْتَرْحَمْلَا لَنَكُونَ min al الْخَاسِدِينَ Sayyidina Adam alayhi <laughs> salam, When he had eaten the fruit, and we don't even say that he consciously committed a sin. Right? That's not what we say. We say about Sayyidina Adam that he either forgot, right? Or that he was tricked by Iblis who told him that this is no longer haram. And he didn't know that there was any creation that lied. Like the idea of someone lying to you hadn't existed yet, right? So he never imagined that. So he actually thought it was منسوح. Okay. So we don't say that Adam intentionally committed that ma'asiyah. However, when he did eat that fruit, he saw written on the throne of Allah Ta'ala, verses of Tawbah. So the first uh, dua that Adam Alayhi salam made was a forgiveness, for forgiveness. What is the last dua people make? It's in Surah At- At-Tahrim, which is the last surah of Juz number 29. Right? What do the believers say as they're walking to paradise? They're literally walking towards paradise through the trials of the bridge and the other trials. lana Nurana Right? We have there's a light coming out of the hearts of believers that through this light they're able to avoid the pitfalls. So their dua at that time is Rabbana lana Nurana. Keep our light so that we could continue this. It's almost as if you have a flashlight and you're going through a calamity, and you're just praying that the battery lasts, right? So they're saying, rabbana أَتْمِمْ lana nurana waghfir lana Right? And forgive us. It's almost like they're saying, our light is weak because of our sins. Right? And to the degree of people's iman and fleeing from sins and doing good, their nur al which comes out of their chests, okay? نُورْهُمْ uh, yasa Their light, right, is running, fl- flowing, Yes, ah, like a sa'i between safa and marwa, right, ah. So their light is not just one beam, it's like waves of light coming out of their chest, bain بي- right, from their being, from their whole body, it's coming this nur. And through with that light, they're walking and able to avoid the pitfalls of qiyamah. okay, such as whatever pitfalls there are, plus the bridge, etc. and they're uh, praying, that this light continues until they reach their goal which is paradise okay which is to pass the uh, bridge and reach the fountain of the messenger sallallahu Alaihi wasallam al-hawd so the first dua is for tawbah the last dua is for tawbah okay so what is in between must always be tawbah and the prophet sallallahu says verily i seek allah's forgiveness 70 times in a day and a night right and another hadith 100 times in a single day and night okay so one of the signs of kibr arrogance or one of the signs of uh, heedlessness of our shortcomings is that we do not constantly on our tongue is forgiveness according to imam madik the best dua in sujood is subhanaka rabbi to nafsi right subhanaka rabbi to nafsi faghfirli right i have done, done wrong to myself and i've done wrong i've oppressed myself and i've done wrong seek see forgiveness okay so let's look at what imam ghazali uh, begins with he says verily repentance from transgressions by returning to the veiler of faults and the knower of mysteries of asrar or the secrets is the, the beginning of the way for seekers notice that he refers to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as sattarul uyub wa allamu it's a rhyming description of allah ta'ala sattarul uyub okay wa allamu he is sattarul uyub and this is one of the most uh important dua that for a person to make allahumma sutur uyubi right and allahumma sutur ana wa amratina imam malik was asked if there's one dua that you could say only one. What would it be? He said, I would say, اللهم مسر uh, wa amar ruatina.' It means, cover our sins in this life, okay? And make us secure from the, their punishment in the next life, okay? So that a person should not think and imagine that honesty is, hey, if I commit sin, I'm gonna let everyone know. This is not honesty, this is foolishness, right? It's not what honesty is. Okay, a person should not expose their sins. Sayyidina Ali said, never expose your flaws, whether they're sins or otherwise. Do not embarrass yourself by exposing your flaws. So we don't believe that uh, sins are things that should be exposed. And whom is allowed to be spoken about? Whose sins are you allowed to speak about? You're allowed to speak about the sins of someone who himself exposes himself, right? You see someone openly saying, you know, I smoke weed, right? And they put it, or here I am today. I'm going to take off my hijab. This is me. This is the new me, right? Or other people with other sins that they're open about. At that point, you can say, if you have to talk about someone, you know, so-and-so, they smoke weed, right? You're not sinful because he himself publicized it. And such a person is categorized in Sharia as fasiq. Fasiq is the open sinner. He has committed one major sin, that made pushed him over, which is he's not embarrassed anymore. He's not shy about committing his sins. Whereas, as long as a Muslim is shy about covering their sins, the Prophet Wasallam was asked, O oh, Master of Allah, we sin and we cover it up. Are we munafiq? He said, no, you're a mu'min. Right? This is actually a sign of iman. This is iman. The fact that you know it's a sin, you don't want people to know that you committed it. You don't want it to be attributed to you from what? That's from iman. Whereas, when you, once you break the veil and you poke through that veil, that you are no longer ashamed of your sins. This has now put you in another level. Such a person is called a Fasib. And what's the ruling of a Fasib? The Fasib, we don't accept his testimony. He doesn't lead us in salah. We don't allow him to rule us, right? We shouldn't put him up to rule anything, to govern anything to do with the deen, right? We would reject him for marriage. If he dies, right, if he dies openly, brazenly sinful, it's makruh for the people of virtue to show up at his funeral because it was as if they're putting a stamp of approval. The other Muslims prey upon him, right? So this is very different from someone we, we may all know has problems, but he keeps it hidden, he never announces it. I mean, We all know that in our community, there are people addicted to drugs, right? It's it's hard to hide certain things. You know, someone calls up the masjid, oh, sheyed, he got drunk again, right? Oh, uh, I have to tell you, my daughter's driving me crazy. She's smoking marijuana. That's different. The certain sins, you try to hide it, but you can't. That's different than someone openly, brazenly, shamelessly exposing their sins. That, once they do that, they've entered another level. So that's a problem. That's a big problem. So we should constantly make dua that Allah Ta'ala veils our sins because that is a branch of Iman. Do not think this is hypocrisy. This is a branch of Iman that Allah Ta'ala veils our sins, okay? But at the same time, don't be deluded. Just because the people don't know your sins does not mean Allah is not aware of your sins does not mean you're not accruing some kind of bad consequence later on, okay? It's as if we keep compiling tickets. Yeah, they're not coming after us. They will eventually. The IRS, right? You keep skipping up on taxes, skipping on taxes. Why is it that some people, you notice, people go to jail or they get fined, like $20 million for 30 years of tax evasion, right? Why is that? It's because the IRS is not going to bother paying their lawyers to go after you for $10,000, right? They're going to wait until it piles up. It's worth something to them, right? So they wait. So don't also imagine that and just because my sins are not exposed does mean that they're just deleted. They're not just deleted. They're going somewhere. It's up to us through Tawbah to go erase them before this calamity falls on our head in 10 years. Your sins compile up, and then they fall on your head through the form of some kind of hardship, okay? some tribulation. So, those tribulation oftentimes is a miserable child, a wayward son. Right? Things like this that you have to deal with for 10, 20 years. That's your sins. So we have to uh, beg Allah Ta'ala, and wash them away. How do, what is the best way to wash away sins? Best way to wash away sins is to do the opposite of that sin. So if your sin is with your tongue, you do the opposite. If you're constantly lying, you become saduq, honest. Okay. If you're constantly listening to what you shouldn't be listening to, you use your ears to listen to the Qur'an. If you look at what you're not supposed to look at, you use your eyes to look at the Qur'an. Okay? And if you can't figure out how to classify your sin, any good character towards people is the best, fastest route to eliminate sins. Ibn Abbas, a man came to him and said, I was traveling on the road by myself in the desert. I saw another man. We began to travel together, right? He's just a man. We were talking. I never even asked him his name. I realized the man was shady, We got into a dispute. I got so angry with him, I killed him right there in the desert. Now I don't know who to pay Dia to, right? Who do I pay the Dia blood money to? I don't even know who to inform that I killed him, right? That I killed your relative or whatever. Ibn Abbas says, is your mother alive? He said, yes. He said, go and spend the rest of your life being good to your mother while she's alive. That'll forgive your sin of murder, or at least the bulk of it, right? So he describes Allah Ta'ala as Okay? This tawbah is the beginning of the way of anyone who is seeking Ridha Allah Ta'ala when, This is the path that I mean, all, all of us should be on. And it is the starting capital of the fortunate, the first step of the aspirants, the key to the straight path for those inclined, and the dawn of harmony and companionship for the near ones, and for our father Adam alayhi and all of the messengers. It is not incumbent upon offspring to follow their fathers and forefathers, you saying? Is it not? If so if Adam alayhi this was his path, how did Adam alayhi be, how did Allah ta'ala explain and announce that Adam was ready to be his khalifa in the earth? When was Adam uh, qualified to be the khalifa of Allah on the earth? Was it when he learned the names? No. Was it when he was created? No. Okay. What was the, uh, when was Adam deemed qualified to now go to the earth and represent God, represent Allah's law, and represent Allah himself? fil It was when he displayed his tawbah, when he correctly and properly made a mistake and got up, blamed himself, Looked for words to say, saw the words of tawbah, and expressed them to Allah Taala, and wept for his sins. Adam salam, unlike maybe the Christian version of it, or even some people's understanding, was not punished by being expelled. No, what did Allah say about the creation of Adam to begin with? He says, "Inni jailun fil Khalifa." I am placing in the earth a representative, in the earth. So. Where's Adam's purpose? To live in the heavens or to be on the earth? To be on the earth. So then why wasn't he placed on the earth right away? Because sometimes you need a buffer, a testing ground to make sure it works, right? To make sure this creation can do what we're asking him to do. So what did he do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the human being, Adam alayhi salam, to be tested in heaven, right? With Iblis. He allowed Iblis... To enter paradise in the guise of an animal and to confuse Adam and make him make a mistake. Right? <inaudible> the human being, he's touched, he's affected by a, a shaitan. Okay? So this is what happened to Adam. So once he responded properly, well, Iblis. Why was the job taken away from Iblis? The Khalifa of Allah Ta'ala. Why, why was the Khilafah of Allah Ta'ala taken away from Iblis? Because when he committed a sin, what did Iblis do? He said, you caused me to do it. This is wrong. I'm better than him. You created me from fire, created him from mud. I'm better than him. i Right? And it's you who are the one who caused me to do this. What did Adam alayhi salam say? Adam put the blame upon himself. Put the blame upon himself and he made Tawbah. Okay, so if that's the path of Adam, then shouldn't we imitate this? Shouldn't we imitate our forefathers? And it's the human nature to imitate your forefathers, right? Now, if someone came and told you, you know that you actually have a great forefather from China. There's part of you is Chinese, okay? Now, I'm saying that because I don't see that anyone here is actually Chinese, right? But if someone was to actually come to you and honestly tell you, You've been tested. You actually derive from a great king from China. Are you going to tell me that your opinion and your feelings towards China is going to stay the same? No way. You're going to have an inclination towards China now. That's my roots. Okay? That's my origin. And this is also exactly why we have to continuously emphasize the nobility of Adam. And we have to constantly negate the theory of Darwin. Because if the human being naturally inclines to his origin and you're telling me that our origin is something that was not human, okay, and we know whatever it was at some point, whatever they want to call it, was not hum- was not a full, was not the human that we know today, was not a human, was some other creature. Now that creature is not dressed, does not talk. And what do creatures do? Animals cohabit wherever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want, Right? You never see two horses talking before they cohabit, right? You never see a cat, two cats, before they mate, having a discussion, and getting to know one another, and talking about terms of this arrangement. No, and they never go behind the bush. They right? cohabit right in front of you. They don't care. So if that's, and they're naked, animals are naked. If, if I believe that that's my origin, then why shouldn't I go back and be like my origin? Walk around naked. If we need to cohabit and mate, we'll mate right now. Why stop? If that's our origin, then everything that from our origin to now is some construction that man, people have made up for some reason. Right? So logic says that. And natural instincts of human beings is to go back to the origin. Which is why we emphasize Sayyidina Adam was created clothed. Right? So that shaitan, uh, when he influenced them to eat, their garment dropped and their nakedness became clear. Okay? Or that the goal of shaitan, it says, That his goal is to make you take your clothes off. Be naked in the streets. Right? This is his goal. So Adam alayhi was not created ignorant either. Sayyidina Adam alayhi was created learned. Right? With the basic adab of speech. Like he wasn't grunting. He was not grunting. He was not... Unable to talk, Sayyidina Adam alayhi when he spoke, uh, as soon as he was created, he reached for food and said, Bismillah. When he sneezed, he said, Alhamdulillah. Okay? So he knew the basic adab and he knew how to speak. The first thing that Allah did for Adam was educate him. So the first thing for children is to get educated. Most important thing is to educate them, right? You teach them a lot of things, but if you don't teach them words, literature, Right and, and make them educated people. You've done wrong to them. have done them a good. Uh, you've done them a disservice. Whereas if you educate them, but you didn't teach them anything else, you can, they could learn everything else through education. Right. So if that's our forefather, then that's what we should naturally. We feel naturally that's what we should be doing. Okay. All right. So he continues. Undoubtedly, Adam sinned and erred. It is a trait well known, and he who emulates his father is not unjust. But a father who repairs, after destroying and rebuilds after demolishing, then, left, then let him be emulated in his time of rejection to that of confirmation, and from being uh, and from being to annihilation. For Adam reached the age of regret, regretted what he had done, and then went forward. Whoever emulates his error but not his repentance, then his foothold has been dislodged. So you can't say, well, Adam made a mistake, so I'll make a mistake too. But Adam didn't stop there. He made Toba. He fixed it. Right? So, so that nobody should look at previous uh, Sahaba or said, someone like Sayyidina Adam and look only at the negative that they did without looking at, well, how did they finish it off? Because we know that the Sahaba, they made mistakes too. So you can't say, well, the Sahaba also made mistakes. Okay, but they made Tawbah too. right? So he's saying here, basically, don't try to look and, and allow Shaytan to trick you and say that, okay, Adam made a mistake. Okay, he disobeyed Allah too. So we can disobey Allah. But Adam made Tawbah. Dedication to pure goodness is the nature of the Malaika, while dedication to pure evil, heedlessness, is the nature of the Shaytan's. And shaitan is a word that means far from the mercy of Allah and can apply to humans or jinns and can apply to animals. So animals are not morally responsible, right? There's no heaven and hell for animals. There's no good animal, evil animal. So when the Prophet ﷺ spoke negatively about three animals, the snake, the camel, and the black dog, Okay. And he referred openly to the black to the camel as shaitan. So are they evil animals? No, they're not evil animals. But they possess traits that are harmful to the human being and they are far from mercy. Right? The result of these traits are far from mercy. So what is the harm of the snake? Well, obviously, he can sneak up on you, right? He slithers. There are no footsteps. So when he comes up on you quickly or on an animal, Right? it's far from mercy, whereas every other animal makes some noise. So at least I'm warned right, that this animal is coming and I could actually take heed. So the snake has that problem. So the Prophet said, when you see a snake, you kill it. Why? Because it could bring you harm. It brings, the snake brings harm. How about uh, the camel? Why did the Prophet say, خُرِقَ in It's because the camel possesses the trait that is vindictive, it has a long memory and any owner who yanked it or pulled it or hurt it, it will then sneak up on it and hurt it. The camel will hurt you. Prophet prohibited by way of discouragement, not out of prohibition, to pray in a camel grounds. A a sahabi came to the Prophet and he said, I heard camels. Am I allowed to pray in the camel grounds? He said, no. He said, I heard Sheep and goat sometimes. Can I pray there? He said, yes. Why? The sheep and goat are not going to hurt you. And by, by the way, the urine and the defecation of any animal that you can eat is not najas. If you can eat an animal, its urine is not najas. So a farmer can walk in cow urine all day. It's not najas, right? Camel. So he did not prohibit praying with the, in the camel area because of najasa. He prohibited it for your safety. Okay. So it's not a prohibition of religion, but it's actually advice for safety, okay? So what about the black dog? Well, the black dog is the type of dog that when it's dark, you can't see it, right? This idea that every black dog is a jinn, okay? Well, in fact, what is intended about this is that the harm of the black dog because you can't see it in the night, whereas if it's sort of dark, but the dog is yellow, right, or colored, you can at least identify it. If you're walking, you can identify something's there. But if it's not bright out and there's a pitch black dog, where you could step on it, you could... Right, so for that reason. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he came into Medina, there was a problem with dogs. There was a lot of stray dogs. There were two problems in Medina when the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam arrived. Because they were in jahiliyyah. They didn't know better. One thing, a problem with stray dogs. Problem with stray dogs is that they spread disease. Right? coming in, licking your bowl, etc., coming in, and they maybe get rabid and bite you. So he didn't like, and they make noise. You can't think, you can't pray. So he dealt with that. Second thing was that there was a, they didn't observe sort of, there are puddles everywhere. And puddles, they bring sicknesses, right? If there's batches of still water everywhere, they attract flies, it's a problem. So the Prophet ﷺ emptied out any puddle or hole that had water in it that was not for any function. He emptied out that water and he found a solution for the dogs which was to put them all out in the desert. right? To take them all far away, let them go eat eat whatever they eat in the desert. There are lizards there, there are jarboas, let them eat there, at least they don't bother us. So he had people take these dogs, uh, put like leashes on them and drag them out to to where they could eat on their own. He's not going to leave them to die. That would be haram. Right? So he went where there was still places where they could find water and food, but far from the city. So that's what the, how the Prophet solved those two problems. you had a question? Well, I don't know if there's a hadith that jinn will take the form of snakes. But we know that jinn can take any form. Yeah. So that's the meaning of shaitan. Shaitan is anything that is far from the dis- uh, mercy of Allah Ta'ala. And... Uh, it could be human, jinn, or animal. And in regards to the animal, it's not a moral judgment. In regards to the human, it is. Okay, and the jinn. The uh, this. He says, "Return to goodness after error." This is a need of the sons of Adam. He is holy. He who is wholly devoted to goodness is a near angel to the King who granted life. And the devotee of evil is Shaitan. Then the one... What is the definition of evil in Islam? Many people conflate two things. Two things that have nothing to do with each other. Pain and evil. Evil is not pain. Pain is not evil. Evil is, is a complete judgment. Only that in sharia we have a definition of evil. And that is disobedience of Allah that is not followed up by tawbah. Okay. The good is anything that draws you nearer to Allah Ta'ala. So how do I know if pain is a punishment or what? How do I know if an incident happening to me, like I got a job, is it good or bad? Or I got fired, is it good or bad? We say in Sharia, okay, that you can't designate an event as good or bad immediately. You can designate it as painful or comforting. Pleasuresome or difficult. That's how you can designate it immediately. You can only designate it as good or bad afterwards, after the effect takes place. And if the effect of the event is that it made you closer to Allah, then the event was good, even if it was painful. It was painful and good. Okay. Whereas, if the after effect is that I became, a person became more distant from Allah Ta'ala, then regardless of how it felt, it was bad. Okay? So good and bad are to be judged after the fact. You have to wait. So when, uh, some calamity, some event takes place, you have to ask, is this good or bad? Let's wait. How do you react? If you react by drawing nearer to Allah, it was good. If you react by getting distant from Allah, then it was bad. Okay? So uh, the issue of good and bad has to be judged afterwards. This is very important for people to think about. Okay? And in that case, look at the beauty of this. Okay? In that case, if something is good or bad, evil or blessed, it, it's not random. It's in your hands. Right? Allah Ta'ala has honored the human being by actually allowing him to have a hand in it. You have willpower. Right? Human being has his own willpower. Okay? Otherwise we wouldn't have heaven and hell if we didn't have willpower. And with our own willpower... Okay, we could take an event, an incident that takes place, and make good out of it. Let Make it something that causes us to come near to Allah Ta'ala. Then the event will be good. Okay? So the objective nature and description is, was it painful or was it comforting? Was it hard, difficult, or was it pleasuresome? Okay? That you can say, but whether it's good or bad is really up to you. How do you react? If you react by drawing near, Good being distant, then it was bad. Okay, so he continues. For two defects are needed into man's clay. Two defects are inside of us. Okay, While accompanying him are two moral traits. Every servant inclines either to the angel or to Adam or to Satan. Which means every human being inclines to goodness or to an admixture of mistakes followed by goodness or to pure evil. The penitent is living proof of his correct inclination towards Adam, the one who constantly makes mistakes and then repents. We say that he's on the path of Sayyidina Adam, He's in constant tawbah. Okay? Whereas the one insistent on transgression, he is in transgression and he never thinks to make tawbah. He's on the path of shaitan. Correcting the relationship by entire devotion to pure goodness. Now once you love, once you attain a level where the major sins, you don't do. The minor sins, alhamdulillah Allah has protected you from them except maybe once in a while by accident. Then now you're on the path of malaika. And can a human being reach this? Of course they can, right? Just because the Prophet ﷺ said, Kullu bani adam does not mean every human being is sinning all the time. Or will sin every single day, no. We means the human being always has a capacity to sin unlike messengers who don't have a capacity to sin so yeah you could commit sins you're still a human being you're not masoom but you could be mahfouz this is an important distinction there's masoom and mahfouz masoom is the prophets only they do not have the capacity to disobey allah it's impossible it's almost like can this phone connect to wi-fi it's impossible it's not going to happen right But human beings, Muslims, can enter an-nafsul mutma'inna, which is the soul at peace, which means it knows what is right and wrong and it lives by it. It doesn't contradict what it knows. So he's never feeling conflicted. We call this maqam, maqamul hif, that Allah Ta'ala has guarded you now, protected you from sins. And that person is on the path of mala'ika. In fact, he's better, because mala'ika... Are created on that path, whereas the human being has to fight against oh, four enemies to get to that path. And nafs Hawa, shaitan, and dunya. Okay, he has to fight against those four to get to that path. Alright, we're almost done, then we'll take our Q&A. It can only be extracted by one of two fires, there are two you can extract this evil tendency from the human being by two ways. One of two fires, he means you're one of two difficulties, will extract this evil. The fire of regret or the fire of hell. Namely, once evil is inside of us, once we've done sins, against what is evil? Disobedience to Allah without repentance. Once disobedience enters into us, you have two paths. You either regret it so much that you wipe it away you regret it so badly you wipe it away or you don't regret it and it gets wiped away from you on per, uh, by force through hell okay. and what is tawbah? Tawbah has four pillars four parts the central of them is regret and nadama and the four parts is al al istighfar adam tikrar or niat adam al tikrar which are uh, recognizing your sin, blaming yourself, or and number two, seeking Allah's forgiveness. Number three, in, in, intending never to go back to it. And number four, regretting it. So if you say, yeah, I sinned the Safar Allah, but it was so amazing, right? I'm actually happy I did it. It was a great experience. People who do that, it's not tawbah. To- you can say safar uh, a thousand times, it's not tawbah. To- and if someone doesn't do any three of the three, except regret, still Allah will accept it, because regret is the old, just like the Prophet said, al-hajj arafa. He said, inna matobatun nadama. So is Hajj only arafa, or Hajj has to have no? You have to have ihram, you have to have tawaf, you have to have sa'i, you have to have arafa. So you can't just go to arafa and say I made Hajj. But the Prophet said this is the central pillar of Hajj. Okay. Likewise, the central pillar of tawbah is the spinal cord. And if a person doesn't make tawbah, and he dies with sins, or he he lives with his sins, never making tawbah, there are phases at which he will be uh, purified from these sins. So he would, a Muslim, we're talking about Muslimin, by the way, we're not just talking about anyone. We're talking about people who are upon uh, the sound aqidah, that Allah Ta'ala will ensure that they are purified And will eventually enter paradise. But this purification may take a long time. So the first place of purification is in this life. Hardships and difficulties and sicknesses. The second place of purification is the moment of death. The third place of purification is in the grave. The fourth place of purification is the resurrection. The fifth, the moment of resurrection. The fifth place of purification is Yom Al-Qiyamah. If still a person has sins against him, the sixth place of purification is to be put into hellfire. And then, once he's purified, he's removed and he enters Jannah. Right, this is the state of the Muslims. All right, let's uh, stop here and see if anyone has any comments or questions, if we see if we have anything online as well before the event of Maghrib comes in. Right. Yeah. No, you, well, the Hajj consists of four pillars and ten obligations, Right. Uh, or eight obligations, depending how you break it down. But the obligations can be made made up by fidya or hedi. Okay. But the pillars, if one of them is gone, then the hajj is invalidated. Yeah. All right. Let's see what happened here. Uh, Bismillah. All right. A brother says, I've wondered why black dog was picked out from the other dogs. Yeah. So the uh, the belief, any belief that the black dog is some kind of demon, is, there's, there's not substantiated uh, from what I know. Rather, the black, this, this hadith, this statement is maqul al mana. It's rationally comprehensible that he brings harm because he's not seen Wallahu ta'ala. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you mentioned, like, you know, to, to go away from sense and do the opposite, right? Yeah. Sins, okay, good question. Well, uh, sins can only be performed by seven limbs, right? Seven limbs by which you can perform sins, right? The hands, the tongue, the eyes, the ears, the feet, the stomach, like by eating certain things, and the private parts, okay? And there's one which is pretty abstract financial. But that's actually, it's done by the hands, right? So uh, you can count it as hands, of the hands. Whatever limb the sin entered into, Imam al-Ghazari says these are the seven gates and the city is the heart. If the seven gates are locked, then no evil can enter the heart, right? Uh, whatever sin limb you did your sins with, try to use that same limb in the good. Find the good deeds that are done by those limbs. So, yeah. Good question. Bad thoughts. Are we sinful for bad thoughts? The answer to it is, we are not, never sinful for things that cannot be controlled or even defined. You're not sinful for any thought that you get. And in fact, the Prophet ﷺ said, Shaitan will throw into your mind a filthy thought. All you have to do is say, oh Allah, this is not from me. Seek refuge from Allah Ta'ala. And that's it. You don't have to get obsessive compulsive about your thoughts because shaitan can make you obsessive compulsive by thoughts. Right? You can't control your thoughts. However, intentionally fantasizing about something sinful is makruh. We say makruh, Discouraged. Okay? I mean, I have some people... constantly think about smoking marijuana right they're always asking oh brother is it really haram two months later isn't there a ruling that says it's makroo right I like you're constantly he's like I always think about I just want to feel what it's like right so fantasizing and most people don't fantasize about marijuana they fantasize about something else okay that is makroo okay that will be considered makroo Okay, uh, let's see what else we have here. If a Muslim commits sins, does that make them a hypocrite? Of course not. Human, why do human beings commit sins? Because you're a human being, you have a nafs. And Allah Ta'ala said, if you didn't commit sins, you wouldn't fulfill your purpose. I would destroy you and create another creature that commits sins so that they can make tawbah. Because in the process, you learn a lot more. There's a lear, There's a great amount of learning about Allah and about yourself and about the world that occurs when you're weak and you commit sins and you go back. Uh, some people may say you're a hypocrite if you commit sins in private. Is that valid? it's what we said, that you should keep your sins in private to protect the ummah from the standard of morality going down. Try to keep the standard up, right? And the Prophet talks about how the person, if, they, um, if they're if they embarrassed and upset about their sins, that, uh, we don't know, that this is a sign of iman. You should not want to be associated with sins. Hypocrisy is of two types. The, hip, the great hip, greater hypocrisy, which is that you don't even believe in Allah. Right? But you're saying you're Muslim because there's benefit. Right? That's the major hypocrisy. The regular hypocrisy is the hypocrisy of deeds. That a Muslim can have this. He tells everyone, right, don't smoke. He has a cigarette business. Not he accidentally smokes, right? He has a cigarette business, right? He tells people only sell halal meat, everything else is haram. He himself, he has har- uh, sells haram in his restaurant. So we're talking about that which you speak against, but you intentionally do. And not we're not talking about someone who accidentally falls. His son, don't do drugs. He got tempted and he drank or did drugs. Okay, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone that intentionally does the wrong without shame. Okay, so he's not a hypocrite if he does that. Smoking is makruh according to some schools of thought and it's haram in the Madaki school of thought. Huh? Chewing, tobacco. Chewing tobacco and all those things that bring harm to the human being are according to the Madagascar scholars haram but the, according to other schools of thought, makru. Okay. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know that your dua is accepted? Your what? Toba. Oh, how do you know your Toba is accepted? One of the signs that a person's Toba is accepted is that he no longer commits the deed. One of the signs that a person's Toba is accepted is that in the beginning, his sin is constantly on his mind, like a mountain on his head. And he constantly keeps remembering it and changing his life because of it. And in the long term, he has forgotten that he even did the deed. Right? So, the ulama, a young man, this question came up, right, in the time of the Prophet. And someone said, Is that he thinks about it all the time and says istighfar all the time? A Bedouin said, "No, it's that he has even forgotten that he did the deed, right?" And the answer is both were correct. In the immediate, it's always on his mind; he's constantly making Tawbah from it. In the long term, he's forgotten it. He forgot that he even did it. Okay, so this is one of the. These are some of the signs the Allah might give that teshuvah is accepted. Uh, someone asks since those hadiths about the snake is it haram to keep it as a pet or to trade in snakes the answer is uh i do not believe it would be haram but it may fall into the category of makruh. and you know those stories that people keep pythons then they forget to close the cage one day and they go and the python ate the kid it's true the python one time they didn't close this the, the lid properly the python got out And looked for heat, went into the baby's room, the child's room, 11 years old kid, and squeezed him to death. I mean, these parents lost their kid over a snake. But I don't think that any fuqaha have said it is haram completely. Where do bad thoughts in Ramadan come from if shaitan is chained? It comes from our own self. We still possess inside of us memories, right? So they can come from within ourselves. Any other comments or questions? Is it true that your sins are converted to good deeds if you make sincere toba? Yes. And the actual reality of it is that your ability to now correct other people and help other people because of your bad experience is how your sins become good deeds. So if you're a heroin addict that got off of heroin, made toba, you got off of heroin, now you're helping other heroin addicts. Like, how am I supposed to help a heroin addict? I don't even know what heroin looks like, right? If I saw it in front of me. I can't help you, but a former heroin addict can, so he gets all that reward, and all of his sins become reward, because he uses it now to help others. All right, last call before that. Yeah. Warning people. Yeah, you get rewarded for that, of course. Subhanakallahumma wa hamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nasta wa wa alasr. Inna al Ila al-lazina aminu aminu al-salihaat. Wa 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 you can take it. I oh, shall